Welcome to the Canadian Real Estate Investor, where hosts Daniel Foch and Nick Hill navigate the market and provide the tools and insights to build your real estate portfolio. Welcome back to episode 118 of the Canadian Real Estate Investor Podcast. My name is Nick Hill. I am a mortgage agent, a real estate investor, and lucky enough to be the co-host of this awesome podcast with my good friend, Daniel Foch. My name is Daniel Foch. I'm a real estate broker, investor, and director of economic research at a company called Rare Real Estate. Uh, thanks a lot for listening today. If you are a regular listener, welcome back. We really appreciate you. And if this is your first time listening, thanks for tuning in and welcome to the show. Every Tuesday and Friday, Dan and I release episodes that cover the principles of real estate investing we talk about breaking news, and we pretty much give you everything you need to become a successful and well-informed real estate investor. That's it, Nick. Uh, and today, we are going to be chatting about a few things. We're going to start off with some movements in the stock market that caught our eyes, and then we're going to chat about the recent Canadian Real Estate Association statistics. Okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. Stock market? I think you got the wrong show here, buddy. Let's leave that to our podfathers on the Canadian investor. Well, these stocks do have to do with real estate. Hmm. Okay, well, in that case, I'll allow it. But uh, why don't we start off with a person making those trades and just so happens to be one of the greatest investors of all time, Mr. Warren Buffett. Also, I've got this great chart here, Dan, shows his growth tied to his age over the years. So you and I are both in our 30s here. So let's look at when Buffett was 30 years old on the dot, he had a net worth of 1 million at 35, 7 million, 45, 19 million, 55, 1.4 billion. And now, of course, you know, in his 80s and 90s and the 50 now plus well over a hundred billion dollars. So there you go, Dan. I, you know, in our, we're in our 30s here. I feel like you and I have probably decent net worth. Maybe we're on the Warren Buffett trajectory here. What do you think? I think that this chart might fail to index for inflation. That mm. would be my guess. Um, I just think yeah, that, that you know, given. At 30 years old, he had a million dollar net worth. I'm assuming that's a million dollars clean. If you were to inflation adjust that, I think we just did the math in our, this is our second attempt at this recording, by the way. Uh, <laughs> second attempt at the first little bit. But um, so I think we inflation adjusted it. He's like 90 years old. So go back 60 years to when he's 30, inflation adjust a million bucks um, from what is that? 1960s. It's going to be five, like close but, to five million five bucks. X, so yeah. it sounds easy. Like it's like, Oh, I'm a millionaire. Well, you're a millionaire and you know, worthless 2023 20, <laughs> currency that's been, <laughs> yeah. that's been devalued for 60 years. So, you know, 5 million it would be, and I know Hormozy tracks this as mm. well. Um, he talks about, he tracks his net worth beside, um, Buffett's net worth. I would certainly hope that Hormozy is worth more than 5 million bucks. I think he's around our age, right? He's like in the mid thirties yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Guy's um, killing it. Yeah. So anyway, we're going to rattle off some quotes here from Warren Buffett because, He's very well-spoken and he also knows what he's talking about. So, and then we're going to get into why we're talking about this gentleman today specifically. So on making money, the first rule of an investment is don't lose money. The second rule of an investment is don't forget the first rule. <laughs> and that's all the rules there are. And if this is your first night at Fight Club, you have to fight. <laughs> you think Warren Buffett and uh, Tyler Durden had uh, had some conversations back then? Probably, yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, my 
let's apply each one of these rules to to real estate and real estate investing, Dan. You know, on making money, the first rule of any investment, right? We talk about this all the time. If you have a property and it's not making you money, it is not an investment. Pretty simple. So, you know, that should be your that should be your, your thought moving into any investment property, any type of real estate investment that you that you're considering making. It's got to make money. It can't lose money. And if it is losing money, you got to figure out and do whatever you can to get it to make money. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that we talk about rule number one, investing on this all the time on the show. You, you Cash flow is, is the number one priority. You know, a lot of people say capital appreciation, but it's ca- cash flow is a certainty, right? You know that it's paying you money every month when you receive those rent checks. And if you fail to re- start receiving those rent checks and you're losing money, then you can find out that it's, that it's losing you money immediately. Capital appreciation is something where you're assuming that it's going to make you money over two years, three years, four years, five years. It's a higher, much higher risk play. But if it if it doesn't over five years, you got to wait five years to find out that you lost money as a result of this investment rather than one month when yeah. you stop receiving cash flow. Yeah, you're not getting monthly home appreciation checks, although that would be nice. That uh, <laughs> yeah. doesn't How do we exist. figure that out? Let's yeah. take that to market. <laughs> yeah, not a bad idea. So- but, uh, and and on that note, actually, you know, this is something we often refer to as getting rich slow, um, which segues very nicely. You, know, you guys know we really love segues on this show. Yes. We, we're, you know, trying to get a segue sponsorship, <laughs> but it's about being patient as an investor. So this is what Warren has to say on being patient as an investor. Someone's sitting in the shade today because someone planted a tree a long time ago. I love that. I love it because it gives me a very visual image of literally a big, beautiful tree, whether, and you can picture your own tree, whether it's a palm tree or a big maple tree or a spruce or something like that. But you have now been able to enjoy the fruits of your labor because of the sacrifice that you made earlier. Essentially comes down to two words, delayed gratification, which we talk about all the time on the show and which can essentially be, um, you know, that's, that's investing 101, boil it down, delayed gratification. Yeah, absolutely. And then the next piece is, is value. On value, Warren says, price is what you pay, value is what you get. And one of the things we talk about a lot on the show is creating value and be, having a unique ability to determine or decipher value. I mean, I would use the example of properties that have been sitting on the market for months that we've seen and you know, nobody couldn't catch a bid at or close to asking price. And, you know, we came across them and identified some very unique value in the property and we're willing to pay, you know, and, and, or to, to buy those, those deals just, you know, just because the market doesn't see the value in something doesn't mean it doesn't exist. You just got to go and find it or create it. Yeah. I, I love that. I mean, again, this, it's so funny because I think the average person will look at price as a direct correlation and almost like, okay, well, this means it's worth this much when that's not what it really means at all. That's just the price that someone will either pay for or the price that someone has listed and is hoping to get for it. Um, just because it's priced well does not mean it's a good deal. You can have things that are priced to sell and you buy them and there's actually no value in them, or you can have things that are way overpriced and you need negotiation and you can create a ton of value. Again, we see this all the time in the mortgage space where people are so, so focused on price, um, but they forget about terms and conditions. We see this all the time on on negotiations where people get so hung up on the price of something that, you know, and it's, it's so trivial. And, you know, going back to our Chuck saying that we love pennies in the sands of time. If, if price is you know, simply what you pay, you need 
to be able to generate the proper amount of value out of that. So again, very different. I love that quote. Um, let's keep it moving here, Dan. Yeah. So uh, the only thing I would add to that is people get really hung up on price um, when, you know, in present day with interest rates where they are right now. Well, if you get to like 6.2%, I think um, you'll pay double the value of the home in interest over the, the mortgage term. Um, where we're at today with interest rates, let's say in the fives, you're paying about, um, or sorry, not over the mortgage term, over the mortgage amortization before, mm-hmm. but it, in present day where we're, where rates are, you're paying about one quarter of the value of a property in interest in your first mortgage term, your first five-year mortgage term. And that would be assuming a market fixed rate right now. And so we're at a point where price matters a bit, right? But is it is it worth losing a deal over if you are getting payments serviced, like we were saying, you know, get the getting rich slow thing. If you're if you're trying to negotiate, you lose a deal and now it takes you six months to find another deal. Well, what's your opportunity cost on the revenue that you just lost? Um, you know, the goal here really is to be getting into deals, getting income created and servicing those loans because um, interest is the higher cost right now. Yep, completely agree. Let's talk about something else that uh, that's very fitting for, for the time right now, and that's on the jitters, as, as Warren is quoted saying, or essentially fear. So fear is the most contagious disease that you can imagine. It makes the virus look like a piker. Now, I understood the first sentence of that, but uh, I don't know what the heck a piker is. So I looked it up and a piker is a broker or investor who makes small size trades. Piker is a slang term used to describe a simplistic individual who gambles or speculates with small amounts of money. One who does things in a small way, otherwise known as a tight wad or a cheapskate. So you don't want to be a piker. And again, I think it's about avoiding that fear, right, Dan? We just did another episode uh, where we covered Evergrande in our most recent episode, and we talked about the fear and greed index, and I think that plays very nicely into here. And Warren's also famous for saying, you know, when others are fearful, be greedy, and when others are greedy, be fearful. So that plays nicely into here. Yeah, the next one is on believing in your investments. This is, I, I really like this and I think it, it lends itself exceptionally well to real estate. He says it's far better to buy a wonderful company at a fair price than a fair company at a wonderful price. And this goes back to that getting hung up on price. If you find a, a really, really good property, um, you know, you don't have to make it a, a good deal on the buy. It's easiest to make it a, a good deal on the buy or a great deal on the buy. But, you know, a, a lot of the best opportunities, if they have, you know, long-term development potential, if they have good income, good potential income upside, good ad value potential. I mean, if you can buy a future development site that, that cash flows in present day and, um, you know, you're waiting for that wonderful price and you lose it as a result rather than buying the wonderful deal at the fair price, buying a wonderful property at the fair price. You, I would say you missed out if you, if you don't get it right. The goal here is to get the properties. Yeah. It's not, it's not to get the, the best prices at all times. Price helps a lot, but if you're going to be an expert real estate investor, you got to focus more on value creation than, than just price. It's funny, you know, again, we don't have this in here and this is a bit of an aside, but when Warren goes over the four or five things he looks for in a company, price is literally the last one. It's literally the last one. Um, anyways, the last thing, the last quote we have here is on proper times for fear and greed. I already kind of touched on this. A simple rule dictates my buying. 
said Warren Buffett, be fearful when others are greedy and be greedy when others are fearful. That seems to be pretty fitting for our current time and situation here, Dan, as fear seems to work its way through the market more and more on a daily and weekly basis after we've seen a kind of crazy cycle a lot of it fueled by by greed so anyways those are some quotes by warren buffett you know he's the goat but why are we talking about him because he's someone who's not normally brought up in real estate investing circles until now because when warren makes moves and he makes moves sometimes the market moves and he just made some headlines so warren buffett just made a big bet on the u.s housing market Berkshire Hathaway re- uh, reveals new home builder bets with DR Horton, uh, Leonard, and NVR stakes. So, in the Q2 release of his numbers to his shareholders, these three tickers showed up DHI, which is DR Horton, NVR, which is NVR Inc., and LEN, which is Leonard Corp. Now, let's chat about these three for a second here to provide some context because these are American companies and probably unfamiliar to most of our audience. But they're massive players. DR Horton is a construction company incorporated in Delaware, probably a little P.O. box there. Um, headquartered in Arlington, Texas, it was founded 45 years ago in 1978. And since 2002, the company has been the largest home builder by volume in the United States. The company ranked number 194 on the 2019 Fortune 500 list. And the company operates in 90 markets and 29 states. Yeah, they recently um, showed up in our podcast when we were talking about the biggest real estate companies in the world. And we just did an episode on one of the biggest real estate companies in the world in China. So I would make sure you check out that. I guess that was episode 117 about Evergrande and potential contagion that happens from the Chinese real estate market. But now we're talking about U.S real estate companies, US home builders. And it's an interesting uh, comparison and, and contrasting from, you know, when we're talking about the, the Chinese development market to the US development market. Um, NVR was founded 43 years ago in 1980. It's a home construction company headquartered in Reston, Virginia. It also operates mortgage banking and title services businesses. NVR primarily operates on the East Coast of the United States, but its operations encompass 14 states as well as Washington, D.C., in 2021, 22% of the company's revenue was from the Washington metropolitan area. Big Washington guys, not to get political. Yeah. Uh, the third and final company that uh, Buffett was into uh, is Lenner. Uh, and it was founded 69 years ago in 1959. And in 2021, the company was the second largest home construction company in the United States based off of the number of homes sold. So we've got the first and the second largest home builders. In 2021, the company was ranked 129th on the Fortune 500. It operates in Florida, Arizona, California, Colorado, Delaware, and 20 other states. It also has investments in multifamily, single-family residential, rental properties, and investments in property technology companies. Uh, the name comes from a portmanteau of the first two names of the company's founder. Founders, sorry. Isn't that what Matt Amy did too? Yeah, it is. Matt and Amy. This is oh, Leonard Miller and Arnold Rose. So Leo and Arn is uh, Leonard. There you go. There we go. Um, so, Dan, I mean, these are some big, big companies. 
and some big investments. Uh, Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway disclosed $814 million in investments across three home builders. And for context, I mean, it sounds like that's a ton of money. That's not a lot of money for, for Warren Buffett. Like still 50% of his portfolio, I think, is in Apple. And this is like a tiny, tiny percentage of his total portfolio. Yeah, I mean, $814 million sounds like a lot to, to guys like us. But when you roll in the billionaire circles and you've got, you know, fortresses of cash, it's uh, it's not a huge deal. However, it is making waves. So Buffett's biggest focus was on Dr. Horton. Again, that is the biggest home developer in the United States. Berkshire purchased six million shares of the company, worth roughly seven hundred twenty-six million at the end of the second quarter. The investments made Berkshire one of Dr. Horton's ten largest shareholders. So now it owns one point eight, so just under two percent of Dr. Horton's stock. So they also purchased 120, or sorry, 152,000 shares of Lenner and 11,000 shares of NBR. So let's talk about why would Buffett do this, Dan? I mean, we you know we hear all the time housing is not great, housing starts aren't great, interest rates. This doesn't seem like the time that you know a massive investment in home builders would would be the case. So what do you think here? It's interesting because, you know, it, they talk a little bit about these companies becoming mortgage bankers as well, lending money. And you're seeing this a lot. A lot of these um, builders are buying down rates in the States. You know, I'll, we'll go through some stats and then we can chat a little bit more about it. But new home sales in June 2023 were up 23.8% compared to June 2022, while existing home sales were down 18.9% compared to a year ago. And so in in Canada, we're seeing a similar phenomenon. The resale market has grinded to a halt because, and especially this is the case in the States, why would you leave your house if you have a 30-year mortgage at one and a half, two, three percent when if you go go to buy something new because their mortgages aren't portable there and ours are are somewhat portable here. But if you have to to go buy a new house, you're going to do it at a six, seven percent rate. So many people who might be interested in selling their home, it says, are seeing mortgage rates above 7% and are reluctant to give up their 3.5% mortgage rate. This is a, a hate the house, love the mortgage phenomena. This decreases inventory of homes for sale in a country that is has a housing crisis, not as severe as Canada's, but it does have one, something similar where there's excess demand for housing, people can't find houses, people can't find affordable housing. And you know, this is an opportunity for builders to backfill that excess demand since there are no sellers who want to give up the low rate. Yeah, you know, it's funny, just just as an aside, I, I posted a video on Instagram recently, and it was about mortgage activity and how that was affecting, you know, the, the effects of rising rates on the Canadian economy back in 1979. And there's this realtor in it who is basically telling the the interviewee that he's uh, he's like, yeah, you know, we're we're basically selling mortgages now, you know, people were advertising the mortgage rate on the cut sheet for the for the sale of the house right so it's like yeah this house is okay but it comes with a you know a a 3.5 or a 5.5 and this is back when mortgage rate i believe was like between 11 and a half and 14 and a half percent so you know (laughs) again it uh it really comes down to hate hate the house and and love the mortgage in in this situation and i think it's also like i guess um hate hate the house but date the rate right and marry Mm. marry the house because you the house is the thing that you would be with for a long time on the on the note of people selling mortgages we've been seeing a lot of that like i feel like 
30, 40% of the MLS sheets that we're seeing for multifamily properties right now are, are advertising assumables, assumable CMHC yeah. mortgages. So, you know, a lot of people went in locked in good, a lot of, you know, shrewd, sophisticated investors went in locked in good rates from CMHC MLI select. And now they're marketing those properties for sale, hoping that the mortgage can kind of offset or maybe get them a higher cap rate, get them a higher value on the sale. And so we're, we are seeing it. We're seeing um, even in the in the residential space, people offering to to sell mortgages with properties. Yeah. And, and truthfully, some of those deals wouldn't even be remotely close to a deal if they didn't have that assumable rate, right? I mean, it, it does make a pretty big difference. Yeah. I've gone, a- gone after a couple of those like with clients where we're trying to buy a property, try and buy it with the mortgage. And, and um, they all failed because the lender was like, why, why, why would, would I do we this? give you this? Yeah. 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 So I think it's like, take it with a grain of salt in Canada, how portable mortgages are, or sorry, how transferable mortgages are. I mean, it's not that they're not at all, but just, you know, like if I could buy properties with cheap rates at decent prices right now, I, I would for sure. Who wouldn't? Right. Like you literally get an arbitrage if you're buying it at a better rate. Um, yeah. So let's, uh, let's keep the conversation going here. I want to go back to the three construction companies in, in question here. That's again, DR Horton, uh, Lenner and NVR. Dan, they all have something in common here. Uh, they're not doing too well right now. In the last quarter, DR Horton's earnings per share fell 16.5%. So that's not moving the needle. That's swinging the needle. Uh, Lenner's earnings Per share declined 33% year over year in its latest quarter. And uh, not so different, NVR earnings price fell 5.8%, while average selling prices decreased 5%. So all these builders are suffering right now. All three of these builders are reporting declining earnings per share. So why is Buffett so interested? Well, Home building is a classic early stage cyclical event, which means it's one of the first industries to emerge from a recession. Now, Dan, we've talked about this before, the HOPE acronym. I know you know this inside and out. So why don't you walk us through what this means and then we can keep chatting. Sure. Um, yeah. So the, the HOPE acronym comes from um, Cantro on Twitter. Um, I think it's Michael, Michael Cantro. He's a... Um, an economist, analyst, whatever else it is, but it basically shows um, how this this flow of how things move through the economy, and it would show that housing leads the economy on the way down, or or it's more uh, how they respond to um, changes in rates, mm-hmm. and so and 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 I'll explain why that kind of impacts the recovery coming out of a recession. So on the way down, you can see this happening in the Canadian real estate market. Rates were increased in Q one of twenty twenty two. Almost immediately, the housing market blew off like 20%, started a huge debt slide down because people need rates to be low or rates are a function, house prices are a function of interest rates. And if rates are rising, then prices are going to have to come down to reflect that the buying power that's been reduced by rates going up. On the flip side, when you're in a recession and rates have to come down to stimulate the economy, then you'll start seeing housing actually recover out earlier than everything else. The next pieces in the HOPE acronym, I'm not going to go into them too much, but the next one is orders. So new orders. This is people buying more stuff. So you start to see that negative wealth effect. We talked about the wealth effect a little bit in our most recent episode, uh, the Evergrande episode 117. 
where basically, you know, if you're not as wealthy, your house has gone down in value, maybe you're not buying furniture, maybe you're not buying, you know, you're not, not going to uh, get a renovation done. And so this is where the, the economy starts to contract as a result of housing suffering. Similarly, as housing starts to ramp up, then you'll start to see people feeling more confident because most people's wealth is con- concentrated into the housing asset. And then they'll start going, going to buy things. Oh, I, I want to get a new stove. Oh, I want to go on a vacation. And then profits are a function of whether or not those new orders are coming up or down. It's revenue. Orders is revenue. How much people are buying from companies, ordering from companies, determines how much profit they can make. And then the final piece is employment. And this is the piece that we haven't even seen drop all the way yet on the hope on the way into the the downturn. But it basically said, you know, once profits start to decline, employment will, unemployment will start to rise. And it's just, unemployment is just starting to rise. Jobs are just starting to, to go away. And on the way out, employment will be the last piece to recover in a recession. And this is why you can end up kind of with like those longer, more prolonged troughs from recessionary periods. Yeah. Well said, Dan. So again, home building is a classic early stage cycle, right? So that represents the H of the hope. We see it there. It's a great leading indicator. Now, again, what happened last time? Is this the same as last time? Well, no, because this didn't happen after the global financial crisis because of excess inventory. Now, remember, a lot of that crisis was directly related to housing, but more mortgages, right? The excess inventory problem has now been reversed and the National Association of Realtors, which is essentially uh, the same as Korea, but for the states, estimates a housing gap of 5.5 to 6.8 million units. So to put that in perspective, housing starts are running 1.4 million behind unit pace. And we've got a great chart here, uh, uh, U.S. housing starts. But before we look at that, Dan, I want to just answer my own question I, I asked before is why would Buffett do this? Well, it's pretty simple. You look at this housing or sorry, this HOPE acronym chart right here. If housing is the leading indicator and all of the major home builders in the U.S. are down, well, it kind of seems like the right time to buy. Going back to Buffett's quotes, you know the way he thinks. Be greedy when others are fearful and vice versa. Well, now look at what he's doing. He's making big investments in the housing sector, which is the first thing to respond to rates, the first leading indicator, and he's going to ride that through the cycle until housing is right back up where it needs to be. Now, Dan, let's chat about this uh, U.S. housing starts and maybe maybe look at it and, and relay it back to Canada a little bit. And then there's one other thing I do want to chat about with uh, with our buddy Warren Buffett before we move on to uh, Korea stats in the latter half of this episode. Yeah. So when we talk about the HOPE acronym and and the, you know, the recovery piece of it, you know, the, the phenomenon that you just described, this gap, this, I guess, excess inventory problem that's been reversed. So there's estimating a housing gap or shortage of 5.5 to 6.8 million units, which is about three to 4%, maybe three to 5% of the number of houses in the US, which is 140 million houses in the US. Wow. Okay. In Canada, um, we have a, uh, I think we have like 14 million, so 10% of the size of, of houses in the in the U.S. And we have a gap uh, that the, the government has stated of, we need to build like 2 million houses in the next 10 years. I thought years. it was three. I think- uh, Three million, so, yeah, three, so yeah. three. So um, if you examine kind of like the significance of, of that gap or that, that um, excess demand, 
you know, we have a very similar problem, if not an amplified problem in Canada, especially because we have this continued immigration and they're building at a at, um, 1.4 million unit pace, which is 1% of 140 million. We're building at a much lower pace. So our capability of meeting the demand in Canada is worse and our demand is growing at a higher pace than in the US. So this isn't to say that I'm bullish on real estate today, but I think that when we get to when we get closer to the bottom when there's less downside risk below us and we talk about this a lot on the show, as prices come down there's less risk below you and more opportunity above you. As we start getting down we're starting to see prices come down again and we're going to cover that in the Canadian Real Estate Association stats there's going to be a lot of opportunity to ride that H of the hope, the housing piece into the next recovery. And I think you really do want to be buying on the way down the best deal. You know, it's easier to get a good deal on the way down than it is on the way up. And that goes back to that Buffett quote that we mentioned at the beginning of this episode, be greedy when others are fearful and be fearful when others are greedy. And we're kind of just getting to that peak fear, which we mentioned in the fear and greed index in the most recent episode. It all comes full circle. It's like someone put some time and effort into putting these episodes together and, and some thought. Nice guys. <laughs> okay, so that's that's that. Now, before we move on from, from our buddy Buffett here, let's not forget that Warren has gotten involved in Canadian real estate a few other times, namely one, Dan. Um, I'm going to read this little excerpt here from, uh, from an article, and then uh, I'd love to get your take on it. Sure. Home Capital Group Incorporated shares surged higher. Sorry, I should I should quote this article is from five years ago. Home Capital Group Incorporated shares surged higher Thursday on news that the troubled mortgage lender has arranged a four hundred million dollar in equity investments and other financial support from companies run by famed billionaire investor Warren Buffett, a subsidiary of Berkshire Hathaway, Buffett's main company will also provide a new $2 billion line of credit on better terms and an expensive cash infusion provided to home capital, uh, and that is by one of Ontario's large pension funds. So Buffett saved the day before in Canadian real estate. Dan, what are your thoughts on on Buffett's involvement here? Um, I mean, you know, I think it's funny. He he likes the real estate asset class. You'll, you'll remember like after... Um, the 2008 bust in the U.S. He um, he said he would buy um, U.S. houses at scale if he could, but he couldn't figure out an efficient way to do it, and so kind of that got um, backfilled by your BlackRock, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Vanguard, and so. But the, it is interesting, you know. He also did. He there's a Forbes article from like 2010 that says Buffett didn't foresee grand, the granddaddy of all bubbles. He he made a big, a very significant housing investment, and in, I think it was a, a manufactured home company in 2006. Oh, here we um, go. And so, you know, a lot of bulls are quick to say, "Oh, Buffett's," you know, this is must mean like it's the bottom's in or whatever. It, it could mean that, but it could also mean, I mean, this guy knows he sees a lot of stuff that's going on behind the scenes. You know, he went in and rescued Home Capital Group as an example. There, we've heard a lot about there's people tracking private jets flying in from different banking headquarters <laughs> into Omaha like a couple of months I ago. Love when people do that. Yeah. And so all of these private jets were flying into Omaha as if like Buffett was taking Go, meetings at doing the local oracle McDonald's. stuff yeah, yeah. But, i mean so a lot of these jets were going in and landing there and and uh, you know uh, presumably for some lifeline or resolutions on and may, maybe to have know they have this back channel to offload something if they need it should this banking this regional banking crisis uh, evolve in the US and 
maybe, maybe, you know, I would imagine this guy has a lot of good information. Maybe there is indication that we'll see some support on the, on the U S side. Maybe he thinks rates are going to come down or maybe he just thinks it's a good investment because of that dislocation between supply and demand that we outlined, which we see more of in Canada. Maybe he's also wrong, right? I mean, Buffett's been wrong before. He'll be the first to say that. And, you know, and I love it because now he only talks about, you know, in his business, he's got to make, you know, he's doing a good job if he makes one or two good decisions a year, maybe one or two good decisions every three or four years. So, yeah. And, um, and he has been wrong on real estate before. Yeah. So it's yeah. a, a catastrophically wrong, I think, during, from a timing perspective on that one. Okay, easy there, Bear. Well, I'm not trying to be too bearish here, but <laughs> I think it's, um, you know, I, I actually, I think his investment is good. I think these these companies are, are their values are suppressed so significantly. And I think the, dis, the, like the case, that dislocation that exists in the market right now is very evident. So I, I think that this will likely yield pretty well. And yeah. I'm curious. Maybe we should chat with the guys at the Canadian Investor to get their take on see it. Maybe we should chat with Buffett and see what he see what he's thinking. Yeah, but I, you know, I love it when you because it's it, it's so simple when you look at it all right there. You look at where the home builders are; they're all down. You look at Buffett's strategies that we've looked at through his quotes, and then you look at the hope hope acronym that puts housing where you know right at the forefront of essentially a, a, a recession, a cyclical recession. It all just adds up. It's it's very simple when it when it comes down to that. But anyways, enough about Buffett. Let's dive into the Crea stats. Okay, that's the Canadian Real Estate Association's data sets. Dan, I'm gonna go over the highlights from the report and then I'm gonna turn it over to you so you can start chatting about some of these charts that we have here, all right? For sure. Okay, so these are the highlights. National home sales edged down zero point seven percent month over month. This is all for July. Actual not seasonally adjusted monthly activity came in 8.7% above July of 2022. The number of newly listed properties rose 5.6% month over month. The MLS home price index, so that's the HPI, climbed 1.1% month over month and was down just 1.5% year over year. The actual national average sale price posted a 6.3% year-over-year increase in July, and home sales recorded on Canadian MLS systems posted a small 0.7% decline between June and July of 2023, and activity has been showing signs of stabilizing since May. Now, Dan, we've got a great chart here that shows the 10-year moving average and monthly home sales can you give me your your take on this and maybe describe a little bit of what we're seeing in the chart and, and why we're talking about it? Yeah, I feel like it, it does kind of look like it's running out of steam a little bit. Like if you if you look at the average um, monthly or monthly moving average um, home sales, it and it, you go back and look at it historically, every time it really dips meaningfully below that line, it usually bounces around. There's a bit of a bottom and then it shoots right back up. Um, in a meaningful way and kind of gets closer to the line. Um, it, we saw it shoot back up when, you know, we saw really low volume for the most of 2022 after that crash happened. Um, spring of this year was really strong. And now it seems that that, that rally has sort of, that relief rally has sort of run out of steam. So it's kind of rolling over. Um, while sales were up in July, more than, in more than half of all local markets in the country, um, a decline in, in the GTA uh, tipped the national figure slightly negative. Sales were down um, in Fraser Valley as well, which together with the GTA set uh, offset gains that we saw in Montreal, Edmonton, and Calgary. 
The number of homes sold trended down since last month, but the story seems to vary across the country. The data is evidently skewed by the GTA, as Korea admitted in their GTA or in their in their July report. It says while home sales were up in July in more than half of all local markets, this decline tipped the national figure slightly negative. So I love it how it's like Korea admits in their July report, like, ah, okay, yeah, fine. Yeah, that it tips the market a little yeah, bit. Like, yeah. Well, I mean, this is the challenge. Like, um, I was arguing with somebody on Twitter <laughs> once again. 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 Yeah. <laughs> um, about you know, w- with the Evergrande stuff, if we saw s- people start to sell to cover liquidate uh, houses in the GTA and and Vancouver, just assuming that those are the the kind of the the um, ground zero for that f- that foreign investment that could liquidate and come out of that market, um, would that an- I- impact national prices? And the point is yes. Like the unfortunately, like I, I think that they need to do something about this, and I think we need mo- more clear data from coast to coast in Canada. It's something that I've really been pushing for, and even you know innovating in um, with with some technology partners. But um, we don't have like. A lot of things happen outside of the GTA in Vancouver. What that, really? That, yeah, yeah, I know. And 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 for investors, like the best opportunities are there. Like yeah, and so you know, getting good data um, is is important there. But I think you could get what what could happen is if you see the skew happen as a, as a result of capital leaving Toronto and Vancouver and contraction in those markets, it'll give you some bad headlines. Canadian house prices dropped. One percent, two percent, whatever, and that's when people start to worry because people do think about they don't. Evergrande isn't mainstream news yet, but if Evergrande trickles into Canadian real estate and drops prices, then it becomes mainstream news, and people start to worry and they start to contract. We start to see some economic contraction, and that can all happen just because of Toronto and Vancouver. Yeah, and and again, a few bad headlines, and we know that most people you know, only read the headlines. And if the headlines are based off of skewed data points, that's not going to do anyone any favors. Speaking of those skewed data points, Ontario saw the largest drop at minus 5.5%, followed by BC at negative 2.6%. Interprovincial migration trends and flight to affordability provided continued strength to Alberta, which saw a 4% growth in the number of homes sold compared to last month. And house prices have seemed to have returned to their long-term growth trajectory, departing from the volatility that we've seen over the last few years. So the HPI grew 1.1% since last month, with the index now down just 1.5% since last year. As a result, it's likely we'll start seeing positive year-over-year growth in home prices in Canada again, even if the market really is moving sideways. This is due to the base year effect and comparing particularly against lower prices towards the end of 2022 when the market was in turmoil. So again, base year is simply just comparing something that is happening right now to the exact same time as it happened last year. So if there is a volatile market last year or currently, that can drastically skew the data. So with all this being said, it's worth noting that the average house price continues to trend down. And so I try to take the HPI, the house price index, with a bit of a grain of salt. Typically, when you see divergences in between the index, the house price index, and the average house price, like the one we're seeing right now, we'll see the index correct in line with the average data in short order. So it has a bit of a lag there. Now, Dan, we've got one more chart before we kind of do our last little piece here. Do you want to go over this uh, this chart from uh, show friend Ben Rabidou? Yeah, so it shows house price um, house price percent change from the peak. So you've got Canada; it shows down just over ten percent, I guess, like twelve percent. Vancouver down 
4%, give or take, from peak. Um, so I'll go through the rest. Edmonton down, uh, looks like 7% from peak. Winnipeg down about 6% from peak. Toronto down over 10%. Mississauga similar. Kitchener even worse, almost 20%. Hamilton 16 17%. London down over 20%. Wow. Ottawa, Montreal, and Halifax all down between 5 and 10%. There's only one... <laughs> place on and you'll you'll notice that I read these sort of from uh west to east in the country and I missed a There's city. One place missing. And it looks like Calgary has not seen a decrease at all in prices. And I feel this way this is gonna gonna ruffle some feathers probably, Uh-oh. but I feel that Calgary is pretty overbought right now. I think that there's so much hype around the city. Um I don't know if the 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 price acceleration that they've seen is sustainable. We've seen the recoils, the whiplashes that happen as a result of this kind of run up in other cities. Um, it seems like it's kind of like that FOMO where everybody's got fear or they're, they're afraid of every other market in Canada. They go to the one that seems to be like still going up and nobody will buy a market that's going down. And I think the opportunities in be the market like are Buffett, going down. Guys. I mean, Calgary was like a seven cap market before covid and now it's like uh four yeah yeah you know did you know calgary actually had the most expensive house prices in the country at one point in like the 70s yeah i'm gonna oh, we'll do a segment on it because yeah we'll um, do another deep yeah. dive into calgary it's been a while but yeah i mean look i i really like the calgary market i think it, it, i think it's going to be great for long like from a long-term perspective but just in the short term i think i do think it's overbought i can't see like they have the ability to keep up with supply so there's you're never going to have the severity of excess demand that we see here but I, I think it could it could really play a meaningful role globally in becoming one of Canada's top cities as a result of all of this people moving there for affordability and stuff. But in the short term, there's just so much interest, so many people. The prices have run up so hard, and the investments aren't super compelling right now. Like you, you're. I know a couple of people who have bought cash flow negative properties in Calgary recently. It's like if you're going to do that, you might as well buy. Guys, only only buy cash flow negative stuff in Toronto and Vancouver. Come on. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> ideally, don't buy cash flow negative anywhere. Yeah, no, but not, not advice at all. Um, yeah, Dan, no, great points. Um, I, I don't know if I fully agree, but uh, why don't we save that for another episode where we do a deep dive? Let's move on to our final short segment here. I'll start things off here. It's hard to be a real estate investor, way harder than the likes of owning a few stocks, cryptocurrencies, or even the gold bars that you might have in your safe. The barrier to entry between an Apple stock and a duplex is massive. However, the desire to invest in real estate has never been stronger. One in four Canadians want to invest in real estate in the next five years alone, but most don't know how to get started. Many will start and fail because to invest in a property, you need a few things. And we talk a lot about those things. So you need education, mentorship, and community and execution. So education is key, but you can get stuck here. So many people spend years educating themselves and watching opportunities pass by. Analysis paralysis is the biggest deal killer. Some of the smartest people I know lose deals because they're too good at analyzing. (laughs) It's about understanding the fundamentals, the tried and true principles that have been used by successful investors for decades. No, you will not get rich quick. No, it is not passive investing. Come on. Mentorship and community. Sorry, I'm I'm doing ad libs. I in the like back the, of the hype man. <laughs> yeah. What? Uh, little John over here. Let's talk about uh, mentorship and community. Now, seeking out mentorship is something everyone should be doing in whatever it is you want to be successful at. Outside of this podcast, outside of real estate, go find mentors. But let's talk about something like having your first child. Seek out advice from other parents who've done a good job. 
running a marathon, starting a business, or buying investment properties, they're all the same. The same principles applies. Find someone who's done it and learn from them. Outside of a mentor, community is just as important though. Finding like-minded people who are trying to accomplish the same thing that you are. A support system, a sounding board, and a network of potential partners. However, the education, the mentorship, and the community are still not enough. You need to know how to execute on these principles, calculate the formulas, make yourself a worthwhile mentee, and an active and intentional member of a community. This is where the final piece of the the puzzle comes into play. Execution. You understand the principles. You know how to find good deals. You've picked a market. You have a power team. You have a network and mentors. Now it's time to actually invest. And this is what we're offering, a community of like-minded people that have a plan and a goal to make good investments in real estate. Our course and community cuts through all the BS and we focus on what will really accomplish your goals. I thought there was no BS in this mark, this industry. Just, I mean, the, just the Lamborghinis parked out in front of, uh, you know, free construction homes. And, and obviously, of course, we'll be driving white BMWs this whole time, Dan. <laughs> Anyways, thanks for the ad lib. Strategically educating yourself on what you actually need to know, like how to pick a market, how to run numbers and how to build that power team. Building the best community of real estate investors across the country that have an abundance mindset and a desire to have everyone around them succeed is our goal. And last, but certainly not least, we want to be able to help you and teach you the ability to execute with confidence. So if you guys haven't realized, that was a little pitch for the very exclusive course that we are launching. Again, small cohort. It's going to be Dan and I on weekly calls with you guys. Uh, if you're interested in something like this, this is likely going to be a once. I think this might be the only time we do this, and then it'll be kind of pre-recorded stuff afterwards. But we really want to make sure the first one's great. And we are looking to our early adopters to help us build this out. And I think the other piece is the the community element will always exist even when we go to the pre-recorded format in the future um, but this first cohort will kind of be in that community early as early adopter members helping to teach subsequent students it's going to be I think the platform that we're using is called school and it has like a forum on it where people can ask questions we're going to be on there answering questions interacting with people um, but yeah we really want to have a, a small cohort to start because we're in the process of developing this thing and we want to kind of market validate it and work shoulder to shoulder with our audience, with these early adopters to really build it into something that's going to be valuable enough that we can give it to people long-term in a, in a pre-recorded format and keep stacking onto it, going more niche, you know, eventually we'd like to do Airbnb courses or, you know, buy and hold or burr or whatever it is, but we got to start with the core fundamentals and we need a good core group to do that. So the links in the show notes, it's, you can type it in as well. It's realestateinvestingcourse.ca. Sometimes if you type it in and get a 404 error, we're working on that right now. So just maybe click the link in the show notes. It's probably a better place for you to start. And um, we, we're we really looking forward to, to who lands in this small group. It is going to be first come, first serve. We've already received emails from a lot of you who will be getting the link. And uh, and we're interested to see the group and, and kind of build this thing out with them. So Yeah, very exciting times. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Hope you got a ton of value out of today's episodes. We'll see you soon. The Canadian Real Estate Investor Podcast is for entertainment purposes only, and it is not financial advice. Nick Hill is a mortgage agent with Premier Mortgage Center and a partner in the G&H Mortgage Group, license number 10317, agent license M21004037.
Daniel Foch is a real estate broker licensed with Rare Real Estate, a member of the Canadian Real Estate Association, the Toronto Real Estate Board, and the Ontario Real Estate Association.